God is an awesome God. He's a powerful God. He's Lord. He's King. He's King of Kings and He's Lord of Lords. He is not one of the bunch. He's not one of us. He is our King. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He's our coming King. And when we go through days of our lives that we don't understand, it's always good to know who our leader is and who we're following. And from where are we going to get our instructions? If you were to just float down the, uh, all the television stations that have news broadcast, by the time you got to the end, you would have no idea what's happening because they seem to all take a different position. One's for, one's against, one doesn't know. Uh, it just goes on and on. And if you don't know who you're following, you have no idea where you're going. And that's where we are today. I'm going to preach to a message today. I've entitled it, One Nation Under God, with a question mark. One Nation Under God. Or, what is going to be our response to what's going on in our world today? It's very difficult today to speak truth. It's very difficult today to take up a position or principle knowing that there is a wide diversity of opinions as to what is going on, what, is go what has happened, what is happening, what's going to happen in the future. The thing today is to be like everybody else. It's, a, it's always been a fad, but not like, nothing like what it is today, where we all have this idea of just wanting to be like each other and seemingly having nobody to follow. Now, if we were the first group like this to come along, I would be more frightened than I am today because there's been others, especially the one that we're going to talk about today, God's chosen people. The nation of Israel, without question, clearly taught and, and clearly observed in history and present day activities, Israel is God's chosen people, the Jews. He was king of the Jews. Jesus was king of the Jews. God had a plan for Israel. For a while, Israel followed that plan and God blessed them. But the time came in what then was the strongest nation on earth when not the world, but the people of God, the followers began to seek other gods. It started slowly and it became epidemic. And when it came epidemic, God moved in and acted according to what he said he would do if his people did not turn to him. Amen. Maybe the religious people are the most uh, critical people on the planet about what's out there. But we find it very difficult to find out what's in here. And what about me? And what am I doing? And where do I fit in? And so I want to read to you from the second chapter. I'm going to read to you from verse 1 of Jeremiah, second chapter, verse 1. Jeremiah is the prophet that comes from God. He is the one that got, Jeremiah is one of the major prophets that God chose to tell the people what God wanted the people to hear. 
They must listen to him, the prophet, in order to know what God was saying. And here's what he wrote in the second chapter of the book of Jeremiah. Verse 1, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of thine espousals. When you went after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown, Israel was, past tense, holiness unto the Lord, and the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, verse 4, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord. What iniquity, here's the question, you ask it, if America is a nation under God, blessed by God, chosen by God, you answer, if you will, what I am reading. What iniquity, verse 5, have your fathers found in me? What has America found wrong with God? We don't worship him by the majority. That's the question for us. Thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me that you are gone far from me? You've walked after vanity. You've become vain. Neither said they, where's the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through the land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the shadows of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when you entered, you defiled my land. And you made my heritage an abomination. Please listen to verse 8. The priest said not, where is the Lord? They that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Wherefore? I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children I will plead. For pass over to the Isle of Chittim and see, and send unto Kedar and consider diligently and see if there be such a thing. Listen to verse 11. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Verse 12. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. Are you ready? Listen to it. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed themselves out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Please, people, listen to me. Does that sound like today's news? Please, people, what has happened to God's people? What has happened to a nation that was blessed like no nation on the face of the earth that has come to the point that they believe it's up to how we vote rather than how we live day by day? 
We go through all of this time of blessings as a nation, and we see now, never have we been so confused. Never, never, never. So I want you to look with me this morning as this scripture. I want you to remember that Israel was the bride of God. God said, you're very special. I'm going to lead you through the desert and my bride will follow me. And of course, you know that story. Here's the point. Israel loved God in those days and God led them free. God led them to make right decisions. But little by little by little, Israel decided we can carry it on our own. We will do what we want to do. We will decide how we're going to do things and we will make it a point that God will not be a part of it. One of the first signs that a nation has rejected God is when they reject the word of God. All of these teachers know the problem that goes on in our schools. The commandments can't be on the wall. The Bible cannot be carried on the campus. That's all. That goes back all the way to Israel when the people of God just started following the world, just started going wherever they go. Verse 5, Jeremiah 2, what iniquity have your fathers found in me? Where has God let down our nation? Where is it God's fault that we are struggling so much financially? Oh, trillions of dollars. Our homes are falling apart. Our marriages are a joke. Our children are in rebellion. And we think, but God, if we'll just vote, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. I heard a preacher say the other day, we have two choices between crooked or crazy. (laughs) You know what Israel's problem was? Very simple, very simple. You don't have to be a PhD. They decided they would not follow God. They'd close their ears and go after the gods that the pagan world was following. Sex, money, pleasure, you name it. They changed their relationship with God. It wasn't God's fault. God had done everything he told them he'd do. Verse 6 and 7 says, or I'll I'll tie it to today with verse 6 and 7, has America been blessed because of God or in spite of God? It's a hard question. In Exodus 19, to go back a little bit, verse 4, he said, you've seen what I did unto the Egyptians, how God destroyed the enemy, and how I bear you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all the people, for all of the earth is mine. No nation was any trouble to Israel. All God had to do was just give the, give the word, give the power, and give the victory to Israel. Time after time after time after time after time. But one day, God said, my people have chosen to forsake me. Therefore, I must do what I said I would do to a people that do that. 
I will have to bring judgment upon them except, and it comes right back to us, God's people acknowledge the problem, confess it, repent of it, pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways. Verse 8 says, where is God being glorified in their laws? Where are they being glorified here? What laws have we passed in the last 25 years that would see that our nation is trying to get back to God as compared to the laws that we have passed that's trying to get us farther away from God? Where are they? If you were an angel going to defend America against a holy God, what would be your defense to say God, but God, have you noticed what's happening? Have you seen this? The Bible says, my eyes have gone to and fro throughout the whole earth. I've seen it all. What do you want to show me? They would let me think that maybe America is turning back to God. Where are the laws? Where are they? Oh, blue laws. You remember those laws? Couldn't open on Sunday. Remember all that kind of thing? I can remember the day if somebody tried to take the Ten Commandments off the public schools, there'd be a, a, a mob like they never saw before. But it's not any longer. The leaders of the nation who could have changed this story are doing nothing to change our story. They're sitting back wanting to know who's going to get elected rather than is God going to move out or move and take over. So we have to be honest about it. Jeremiah identifies the group. Now, I'm going to preach to me right now. I'm going to show you something I found last week, and I didn't notice this, and I kind of wished I didn't. Uh, I wouldn't have found it. But verse 8 says, now here's the problem. The priests are not saying, where is the Lord? They that handle the law, those that make the law, those that sit on the bench, those that make the laws, they, they that handle the law don't know me. The pastors, the shepherds, also have transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Three of the four are religious leaders. And the other are you lawyers and judges and make the law. We get hit pretty hard here. Now, if those that you have something to do with the law feel like you get hit, where do you think I feel this morning? Our prophets, our priests, and our pastors have forsaken God. I read a statement by one of the most famous preachers in this country of my group who said, I sometimes preach for weeks without never referring to the Bible. He said, I use those sermons to introduce the Bible, maybe on the fifth Sunday. What in the world happens to a people when the family of God reject God, turn from God, and then blame the world for the problem? See, that's what we've got to deal with. Everybody has their God. The Texans fans, they're already rejecting their God. They're after the owner, the coach, the quarterback, and everybody else. You know, it's their problem, it's their problem, it's their problem, it's their problem. But that's their God. Oh, don't look so spiritual. You give them a choice, they're going to be in the stadium. Don't look at me so sanctified. 
You go to any church on a Wednesday night in this city and see how many people come in the middle of the week to worship God. Not many. One day it was different. But the people of God have got too many things to do than worship their God and to study God's word and to serve God's people and get involved like things with the schools to where you can be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. This wants to know, do you really care about our schools? Do you really care about our community? Do you really care about our family? Do you really care about what marriage is? Do you really care about that? No, it's not politically correct. And God says, if you're one nation and you put in there under God, and of course now they're working on that. And if it isn't true, they might as well take it out. But may God help us to keep it in. May God know there's some people in this country that still believe he's king of kings and he's Lord of lords. And he is not going to fail his children. May God help us in that. The God that freed Israel is the God that is blessing America or he's not blessing America. If he blesses America, we win. If he doesn't, we're doomed. But I want to tell you again, the salvation will come in the church. Nobody else is expected to be the church and they're not supposed to be. Schools aren't supposed to be churches. The business community is not supposed to be churches. But they ought to be able to respect the church because the church is what a church is supposed to be. They ought to be able to see church people and say, I see Jesus in those people. They care about those that, that live in their community. They care about those that are hurting. They care about the fact that divorce is an epidemic proportion. They care about the unborn. They care about families that are being destroyed by alcohol and drugs. They care, they care, they care. And as long as there's people there that care, I will. Wait, possibly would be his answer. All of us today need to read that verse 11 and answer the question today, has a nation changed their gods? Has America changed its gods? If not, where's your evidence? Where's your evidence? Verse 14 Israel was a servant of God. Is America a servant of God? Can God look to America as we are to carry the gospel and the love of God to the world and the message of redemption that whosoever will can be saved, that your sins can be forgiven, forgotten, and buried in the bottom of the sea? Are we doing that? You have to answer that in your world. None of us can say that we're not polluted. We've all been affected by this. We've forsaken God, verse 13, and we have forgotten God, verse 32. My people, he says, have forgotten me. My people have forgotten me. False prophets are everywhere. They speak for Baal. They don't speak for God. Moderation compromise is in our everyday vocabulary. In verse 47, that second chapter says, the Lord has rejected your confidences and you'll not prosper in them. All the time that I was growing up, World War II, I remember sitting by the radio with my family listening 
for the, I forgot what that man's name was, that voice, you know, of America, but we listened by radio, everything was going on every day in World War II. And uh, we just wanted to hear. And then we would pray for the soldiers and for the military. Every day, every day, every day. God, bring them home safe. God, give us victory. And we filled our churches. And so God gave us a test, 911, and we filled them for three weeks. And on the fourth week, it was right back to the same old thing in every church in America. That's who we are. And yet we think God doesn't know what's going on. Well, I don't think he watches CNN or Fox News or Channel 2, 11 or whatever. I don't think he does that. I think he's got a better viewpoint. He can see the parade from the front to the end. He can see everything that's going on. And I don't think he waits until somebody calls in something for the reporter to say it almost right. And if you know, if you've ever been in the news, you have never been in the news when the report about you was accurate. Never. If it was your birthday party in No Hope, Texas, they put it in, they put the wrong birthday. (laughs) If you played Little League Baseball and you got a double in the second, you got a single in the fourth that won the game. But we believe every word I read in the paper, I heard it on the news. I listen to all the news stations. I've heard this, 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 this. And you know who's keeping the record? Right up there. He knows what's going on in the life of every one of us, every preacher, every politician, every voter, everybody else. And you know what he's saying? Don't leave me out of this. When you go vote, not if you go vote, when you go vote, you walk in there and you say, God, while you're waiting, you can't talk to each other, but you can talk to God still. Now, they may stop that. Okay, that once you cross over the line, you can't even pray any longer. If so, I'll come talk to me. I'll show you how you can do it. And they won't even know. All right. <laughs> but pray. God, guide my hand. I'm not sure. But you tell me. And that's what I'm going to do. What will bring the most glory to you? Not will bring the most money to my pocket. The nation of Israel ceased to be loyal to their God, and they went after other gods. You see, Israel forgot the desert. They forgot the desert. They forgot that experience. And now they turn away from God, and as they turn away from God, God intervenes and says, I know what you're doing, and I'm going to bring judgment upon you. You know, it's sad, folks. When a nation adopts the ways of its youth instead of the youth picking up the virtues of those that have gone ahead. It's it's bad when everything over 50 is obsolete and has nothing to say to a young generation. Because you see, God the Father, even Jesus the Son, honored God the Father because he was there in the beginning. And anything that's been proved right by experience, wise people will take advantage of it. But it's so easy, it is so easy for us to throw away our holy heritage, throw away our American history, throw away the many stories of how God came and intervened on the battlefield of our soldiers and throw it out the window and say, but we're America and we're going to win because that's all we know how to do is win, win, win. Nothing wrong with winning. 
But when we get hard-hearted, angry, persistent in our ways, watch out. Jeremiah 2.19 says, your own wickedness shall correct you. Your backslidings shall reprove you that you have forsaken the Lord your God and my fear is not in you. Read that 19th verse. You don't fear me anymore. You laugh at me. You mock at me. And you don't think that I am going to do something about it. Verse 27 says, you've turned your back upon me. Not your faces to me, but your back on me. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us, God. Save us, God. Oh, God, save us, and I'll never do it again as long as I live. And we'll play the hypocrite. Verse 28 says, let your God save you. That's what he told them. He said, you don't follow the God, let them save you. If you know anything other than God that can save you, get with it. But prepare for ultimate defeat. Because we know who wins. We know who wins. That's already been put down. Verse 29. So why do you plead with me when you know you've transgressed my laws? See, that's what's hard to do, folks. It's hard to break God's laws all day long and say, God, have mercy on me and protect me and give me a good night's sleep and help me make a lot of money and lead me to the prettiest girl that I need to marry and the most wonderful husband. But I've got to go find another bar because I've gone through all of those in this bar, so I'm going to go to another one, you know. Why don't you go to your knees and say, God, have mercy on me. God, please, please, God, please hear my prayer. I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to turn and follow you. And when you go, verse 30 says, your children have received no correction. They've received no correction. The third chapter, Jeremiah, and you refuse to be ashamed. You refuse to be ashamed. Chapter 3, verse 5. Will he reserve his anger forever? You see how these questions keep popping up over and over and over in this book? Jeremiah just comes in as a major prophet from God and says, look, folks, pay attention to God, what he's telling me to tell you. Don't forsake him. It's not those that say they believe God's word. It's those that do God's word. The Bible says, don't be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Any one of us, any one of us can be the one that God chooses to save this land. You remember Sodom and Gomorrah? If I can find one righteous, I'll spare him. The numbers are getting smaller. John 15, 2 says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, I'll take it away. We're a branch. America's not the only nation God loves. God loves all nations. We're just one of the nations. And if God cannot use America, he will use someone else. We know the story of American history. I don't have time to go into that. But we had a fresh start when America began. Can America show the world how to live? How to treat the poor, the lame, the halt, the blind? Can, can we come up with a plan to do that? And is that the Congress's responsibility or is that the church's responsibility? Like a lawyer, Jeremiah summarizes it and he says, Judah's sin was compounded by their rejection of the truth and their acceptance of error. 
They rejected the truth. They accepted error and expected nothing to happen. So as I close, here's my questions. Can America teach the world how to have a marriage that can stay together and honor God and solve their problems? Just a question. Can America teach the world what a marriage is and how to restore one and protect it? Question number two. Can America show the world how to use technology to benefit their land, strengthen their morals, and bring joy to their heart? Can we? Can we adopt technology where we can do that? Can America show the world how to use the liberal arts to enhance lives, to build families, to strengthen nations, to displace anger, and to demonstrate love? Can we do that? Can America show the world how strength of character in its leaders is a major store of strength in the foundation of a country? We have to have faith. How do we do that? How do we do that? I wish I could answer some of these questions. The troubling circumstances in our lives can often be used of God to intervene and to bring us to himself. Sometimes it's those things when things are tearing apart that lead us to God. And we come with a broken heart and tears pouring out of our eyes and we cry out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and save me. And the Lord says, whosoever cometh to me, I want to know why it's cast them out. Amen. Yes, he can, he can restore the brokenhearted. Yes, he can bring families together. Yes, he can revive our nation. Yes, he can turn our churches back to God. But we have to do it God's way. Amen. I had five special women in my life. My mother, my mother-in-law, my wife, and my two daughter-in-laws. And I only got three. But they all had the gift of raising their eyebrows. <laughs> Acts 17:30 says, "In the times of this ignorance, God winks at, but now He commands all men everywhere to repent. The eyebrow is a signal for me to repent. The eyebrow's telling me, "You ain't doing right. Do I need to go any further?" I think I know what you're thinking. I'll get it. I'll do it. I'll stop. God raises his eyebrows. God rebukes us with his word. Hebrews 12:5. My children do not faint when you're rebuked of him. God will rebuke us. It's hard to handle, isn't it? See, a rebuke is a verbal warning. That's what it is. It's a verbal warning. That's all this message is today. It's a verbal warning. I have no power, but I know one that does have the power. And I do know what I'm called to do. I'm called to preach the word, not to introduce to you something and hope you hear the word one day. That's not what God put me here to do. My dad would speak to me with the attitude that if I did not notice what my mother was doing with her eyebrows, he had a second correction. And it had nothing to do with my eyebrows. And I'll not go to the other part of the body. But anyway, God can speak to us, folks, from reading his word, from talking to a friend, from hearing a message. God can speak to us. You know what you're going to find behind every scripture? If you just keep on reading far enough and keep on reading Jeremiah, 
you'll see God beginning as the people move and take one step. God takes 10 steps. Why? Because he's wanting us to come home. He's not wanting to take our fun away from us and our joy away from us. He's wanting to show us what real joy is that has trust and commitment and forgiveness and purpose and prosperity to do whatever God calls us to do. And God can speak to us from reading the word, talking to a friend or hearing a sermon. And as I told you last week, if you want to know the will of God, all you need to do is know the word of God. And if that doesn't work, then God can chasten us with his power. In verse six, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He chastens. Hebrews 12, six says, he scourges every son whom he receives. God takes long-term sin very seriously. And some of us just go on and on and on and on and on and on. Now be careful. Just a few years ago, 11 years ago, I heard it announced by the President of the United States that if when we cough up bin Laden, the bombings will cease. I'm here to tell you that's been 11 years and I haven't noticed any bombs ceasing. They're falling everywhere. War is, is horrendous. No folks, all of this stuff isn't going to do it. There's one thing that'll do it. And I say and preach this sermon in love. If it didn't come over that way, please forgive me. I love this nation. And I want my kids and my grandkids to have a better life than I had. But here's the point. You can't do it without God. You can't do it without God. You have to let God direct your steps. And the longer we continue to live in sin, the louder we're asking God to turn up the heat on our life. And bring it on God. I don't think I want that. And I don't think you want it either. So the good news is in the 51st chapter, you got to go all the way to the end of the book. You say, I'm sure glad you're getting out of that first chapter and second chapter. And get over to 51. So I'll read it to you and we're through. 51st chapter, verse 5. For Israel has not been forsaken, nor Judah of his God of the Lord of hosts. Though their land was filled with sin at one time against the Holy One of Israel. God said, I'm going to give you another chance. That's what I pray for. God, give us one more chance. Give us one more chance to have revival in our land. 